The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Welcome to it, Midweek Editions here at Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbel. Hope everyone's doing all right. Is Countdown's on, man. A week from tomorrow, we'll be in Minneapolis a week from today at The Graduate getting set up. As we'll see how this thing kicks off for the Matt Rule era. A lot of rule on the radio and TV today as Coach Rule spent time last night on the Husker Network. We'll have some thoughts and reaction to that. Some of Coach's comments uh, sat down with the herd a little earlier today. And uh, more insight from Joel Klatt with his podcast. So we'll get there. Mike Babcock going to be with us in about 15 minutes. His thoughts as the uh, camp progresses as they turn to Minnesota under the lights tonight for Nebraska and their practice. Uh, We'll uh, also check in with Evan Bland in hour two. Numbers to dial up can join us. Always welcome to do so at 489-1240. 489-1240, wherever you hear us, 800-825-5865. Always want uh, your comments. Can do so a couple of different ways on the Hale Varsity YouTube channel and the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Submit thoughts, comments, criticisms. Uh, that way. So, got a farewell email from Common Sense Todd. Our friend Todd, that is a, a, a really uh, high-level, kind of a volume score in the email world. We love Todd's take, and we have to edit Todd's take from time to time to stay employed. But he is a straight shooter. He loves his Nebraska football. Says, hey, Chris, Elijah can't listen the rest of the week on the way to the Ozarks. And the wife is way too mature and wise to listen to such nonsense, unfortunately. <laughs> That's the perfect description of this show. So here. I'll be back Monday <laughs> when it's officially game week. Hell yeah, go Big Red. Hell let, yeah, Todd. <laughs> let, let, her, let her give us a try. She may hate us. She may love us. We may be Notre Dame to her, right? You either love or hate us, um, or you're somewhere in the middle. That's my suggestion. Uh, try it. You might like it. The uh, the heat's still a topic. It's still a topic with Coach Rule. How did you muster forward? Truth be told, I uh, have never been very much worth a damn in bowling, okay? Uh, shocker. Uh, even worse in darts, I lost a lot of money and respect playing darts in uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa for the uh, the baseball trip this summer with Junior. Uh, I handed some 20s out and was soundly and swiftly defeated by a couple of gals that were just, I mean, their, their, their completion percentage on the football field will be 90%. That's how accurate they were. And, you know, pool, I grew up with a pool table, but let's just say uh, there was a lot of slop involved. Elijah, you had to power forward last night in bowling league before we get to football with no air conditioning. I'm sure there were buckets of Budweiser, mm. and you had to drink those puppies fast. 
because of the uh, the inclement weather. Well, you, you drink you, them fast anyway at bowling. I, I, but <laughs> do you have one of those wrist things? No, no. A lot of people in the league do. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a, knocking it. I'm just I'm asking if you've got a wrist thing. I, I'm, a, I'm a two-fingered bowler, so keeping the wrist firm is less important for me. Uh, some people call it the two-handed. I actually still use you, one hand with the two fingers. I don't use a thumb. I hole. thought when you, when I hear two hands, I think you. I can see Elijah at six four and a half of him walking up to the line, bending down like he's going to do a squat. And then when we were four granny or five style. years old, <laughs> granny bowling, rolling down the middle. No, no, it, it looks a lot cooler than that. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Do you have the pose where you have the right leg over left? Yep. Oh, yeah. And it's the old curveball. Oh, yeah. You, you hold the pose for a second, and then uh, it comes down, and people don't tell you this, Schmitty. Did folks reenact uh, Big Lebowski ever? With like are, there the, any, are there any purple jumpsuits involved? No. no, there were two new guys in the league last night. So it was the first night back after a, a summer break. Mm-hmm. So it's been three, almost three and a half months since I last hit the bowling alley. Pent-up frustration. I took the summer off. We did have uh, two new guys in the league last night. They were wearing the sick, like, big Lebowski bowling shirts. <laughs> I really respected that about those two guys there. I think college Is there a students. Walter in your league? <laughs> Walt, I don't think from, there's from, a Walter. from the Big Lebowski. No, no, no. There's some characters. Don't get me wrong. There's some characters in the bowling league. Uh, but alas, uh, we had two new guys wearing the bowling shirts. Everyone else was uh, a lot of faces we'd seen before, and we all powered through the no AC. I worked smarter, not harder. Uh, and instead of having to, to cool myself down with a whole bunch of beer, I also parked myself directly underneath a ceiling fan. Huh which was about five or six of them in the bowling alley. So parked myself directly underneath there, didn't give up my seat, sat there all night. That's how I stayed cool. Uh, it was so hot in there, even the machinery was starting to act up where it like, kept on knocking our pins down after our first throw and setting up new pins for us. But we powered through. Uh, it was a good first and third game for me. Game two, we won't talk about it. It wasn't my worst, but it wasn't great. But we powered through. It was good to be back. And Schmitty, they don't tell you this, but here's the secret to good bowling. It's like Big Ten football. Like, everyone loves seeing... The ground the, game? <laughs> that's what I'm getting to. It's the ground game. Because everyone loves seeing the 70-yard the touchdown pass in football. That's right. the strike in bowling. That beautiful one where the pins just explode and go everywhere like the pros do. That's your 70-yard passing touchdown. But in bowling league, if you want to have the high score... trays down there somewhere. Let's check it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. In bowling league, though, especially with the level that we are at, which is what most bowling leagues in Lincoln are at... It's about not shooting yourself in the foot and not making self-inflicted mistakes. Uh, First ball, just don't get it in the gutter. Hit some pins. And with that second throw, it's third and four, you know. Pick up that first down. Pick up your spare. If you can pick up your spares and avoid gutter balls, you will be averaging a good number every single game. And then all the uh, the strikes you throw in there just adds to it as the listeners leave as I dissect bowling. No, I, I wanted here. to ask how you powered through a but non-air-conditioned bowling alley. But, but that's how you do it. For anyone out there, if you're looking to join a bowling league, it comes down to avoiding gutter balls and picking up your spares. If you can do that, you're going to be just fine. The, the strikes are just an added incentive on top of all that. Did you hammer a cheeseburger at least? I did not. Okay. No cheeseburger for bowling. Eliza. Bowling alley food is undefeated. Uh, me and my dad did take down a pitcher. Okay. That's what kept us cool. And uh, once you there's a there's a right ratio too of how much beer to drink to, yeah. to, 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 to do your best. You don't want to end up in the other lane. No, you don't want to end up in the other lane. But also, if you're stone cold sober, like you're going to be tight, you got to be just a little bit loose. Let your body take over. You've bowled a lot of games before, you know. Your your body knows how to do it. You just got to 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 calm the nerves a little bit, get back out there, and it was it was good to be back. So I'm excited for a, a year of bowling. The Spring Valley Homes team sponsored. I can say that they they pay for all the bowling. Uh, 
I can tell you we're going to be something to, to watch out for in bowling league this year. You may you may challenge for the Big Ten West this year. I, I, I love <laughs> it's wide that. open. I love that. No, I mean there's there's always the right ratio of how much to drink that sweet spot. Yeah. Uh, how many how, half of a pitcher for you for bowling to drink minimum when I'm on the grill and uh, steaks done that's that's the way we do it well I think you can say the same about golf too there's, there's about a two drink amount for golf that just gets you to the perfect sweet spot we're not even thinking about it anymore. And then there's two too many where you're doing a snow angel in the sand yeah Oh, and there's some people that get there in bowling league every once in a while. So Nebraska football ready to, to, to lock and load. And I want to get some thoughts from Mike Babcock on this. I want to open up, though. And when we talk about year ones, right, there's hope, there's excitement. There's also reality that they're, they, they can be difficult. And the, the last year one that, that wasn't difficult because the team got better was was Bo's first season, that 2008 season, where they not only end up with nine wins, but they, they beat Clemson. They had a, a thrilling uh, finish against Colorado with Alex Henry and Sue, and they started off with uh, a tough home loss to, to Virginia Tech, and then number four, Missouri, came in, a damn good Missouri team that year. But they, they, they kept fighting. They lost in overtime to uh, the uh, Pirates, Texas Tech, Texas Tech team that, that finished tied for the first spot in the Big 12. So, you know, you, you had your ebbs and flows, but the team got better. It, my gut right now, a week out, that's one thing as we talk, uh, you know, sports that, that get better with drinking. Uh, if I'm throwing my dart towards the dartboard, I think that's one thing I can bet on with Matt Rule in this football team. I haven't I haven't narrowed down my win total yet. I just believe because of what he is about and that's development, that's toughness, toughness, that's defense. I believe the team will get better. Now, they're not so flush that if they get some some nasty injuries that they they could really take it on the chin just from some some inexperience. And we talk about a couple of spots on the offensive line where, God forbid, if any of your tackles go down, you've got freshmen and redshirt freshmen back there. Uh, same with your, your interior, right? Then there may be some guys that are ahead of schedule, but for the most part on that edge spot, you don't want to have to rely on a freshman or a redshirt freshman, guys that haven't seen a lot of snaps, and that whole baptism by fire thing's no fun. You've got some experience in the running back and quarterback room. They are thin at wide receiver. There's some unknown there for sure because you don't really have uh, a returning go-to. And, and tight end. I mean, you're going to probably lead on Fedoni and, and pray that he stays injury-free because he's such a talent and he's got kind of the right mindset. Defensively, I think you're a little bit better uh, from a depth standpoint in that back I don't know if I want to call it seven, but we'll call it call it back eight for now. And I think they could be okay there. But what what is the level of growing pain? You know, growing pains is Nebraska going to go through some? Yes, sure. In year one, you're going to. But but how long do they last? And when does it flip from all right, some early missteps or teams that are just better than you? Sure. But there's a lot of teams in this season, on the schedule, the way it sets up, 
that if this team progresses, if it gets better, if it stays confident, if they have a game or two where they, all right, see that proof of concept, then it could really take off. Whether Whatever happens a week from tomorrow, you can't get blown out. You can't have Minnesota line up and rugby scrum you for 12-play, 80-yard, 17-minute drives. That can't happen. Uh, the, the 3-3-5 needs to be really good about making Minnesota be in third and nine a lot of the game to stay in that. And you got to take care of the football and get some sort of help offensively, be it your run game or a big play or two or something in special teams. We'll get more into that next week. But growing pains, I'm just interested in with Nebraska how 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 bad they'll hurt this year. And if that's going to be why so many analysts are, are hesitant to, to just go in and say, yeah, they're a bowl team. I think there's a lot of folks nationally that think Nebraska should be a bowl team. But that's easier said than done in year one. And it, it's such a crapshoot with the turnover, with the attrition, but also with the additions because it's all new. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the twofold growing pains of not only is it a, a young team that's going to have guys that are seeing their first Big Ten action, their first real Power Five college football experience, but it's also that that melding of getting new schemes installed. And, and we, we feel like the defense, from what we're hearing in fall camp and what we know about football, is ahead of the offense right now. They're closer to, that, to being that finished product that you think they're going to be towards the end of the year. But the offense, there's still so many question marks on that offensive side of the ball. I mean, based on what we're hearing, the momentum sounds like a guy in Alex Bullock might be your starting X receiver next week, depending on the, the health of uh, Marcus Washington. Marcus Washington, even if he's a, a full go next week, he's missed almost all of fall camp. Is he going to be in football shape, ready to go for week one? He's going to have growing pains as he returns and gets used to a new offense. You have the growing pains of that offensive line. It's year two under Donnie Riola, but uh, you have guys that are, are going to be readjusting back to the Big Ten and, and guys that are, are still trying to get their feet under them in terms of confidence with Prohaska coming back from an injury and he hasn't played all that much football. Corcoran and Benhart, their confidence has been down over the past couple years. Are they going to be able to, to make it through the growing pains and build some confidence as the year goes on and you, you start facing some live bullets. And then you have the running back room. Gabe Irvin's another guy that he's been here a while, but how much football has he played on Saturdays? He's been injured a lot of the time. And, and whenever you get to live speed and you're playing against big 10 defenses, it's going to be a little bit different than what you're facing in fall camp. And I know he's looked great in fall camp, at least what we've heard from the coaching staff, but there's going to be growing pains as, as he gets used to that offensive line and he gets used to a new rushing attack. And then, Hey, you're going to throw a brand new quarterback on top of that as well as Jeff Sims tries to learn how to take care of the ball and, and be a leader on this offense, as opposed to a, a Georgia tech offense that looks a little bit different than what Matt rule and Marcus Satterfield want. The, the offense is where I'm really, really worried about growing pains. There's some experience on that defensive side of the ball and, we saw how those guys picked up a new defense, I mean, pretty much halfway through last year whenever Bill Bush took over. I'm confident in their ability to be able to pick up this defense and, and to hit the ground running against Minnesota next week. They might not be as good as they'll be at the end of the year, but I think they'll be passable. The offense, though, there's a lot that that, that offense, I think, is going to need to learn as the season goes on with it. the guys out there that haven't played that much football and haven't played any real football in this scheme. How much do they help? How much can they hurt? That's it. To me, because Nebraska has been aching for complimentary football where you get help from special teams, you get a defense that doesn't have to do it all, or you have an offense if your defense that is your strength has an off game or two, mm. right? So can the offense flip it around and be productive? Can they be helpful? Can they be reliable? Can they at least be consistent 
and and that's really the unknown. I mean, the 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 meter of of hype and hope uh, are going to collide here somewhere where it's going to turn from the hype and the excitement and the new to you're going to have some results on the field here uh, in in more than a week. And Minnesota is a really good barometer of how you're going to have to survive in the Big Ten West. One last rodeo on top of some of these other powers from the East you'll see or teams that are comparable or just better than you. So we'll dive into it with Mike Babcock, the level of growing pains for Nebraska in 2023. Hail Varsity continues on a Wednesday. We're presented by Currency. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbo. We say hi to Mike Babcock with Hale Varsity. Find him on Twitter at mdbabs. Babbers, uh, season's almost here. How are we doing? I'm doing okay, guys. I uh, excited for the start of the season. I think like everybody else. Yay or nay, was Babbers ever in a bowling league? Uh, long ago, I was, actually. Uh, my dad's bowling league, my dad's team in a bowling league needed another bowler, so I uh, stepped in and uh, tried to avoid throwing gutter balls. And, <laughs> uh, that was my experience for a couple of years. All right. It's, good, well, it's a good time. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, did you have a, a Grateful Dead uh, bowling shirt? Uh, no, I did not. You should have. Uh, the old tie-dye method, baby. I, I think you could have rocked that. That, was, that kind of preceded the Grateful Dead, actually. I was all right. younger then. All right. See, and I got the bowling shirt that I don't pull out all that often, but it's got two dice on it, two die, I guess, on it that mm. are both flaming. Is your, is your name on the front? It's not. I've been looking to get it embroidered. We'll see if I if I make it there or not, but we'll see. The, the bowling league, I'm not sure it could handle all that. It's handled a lot back through its years. <laughs> Weird Wally from Wally's yeah. Cars. He was in the league back in the day. Um, apparently, Ken Shimmick, he couldn't make it with the, the 10 o'clock news, but his buddies were in the league, so he'd oh. stop by after okay. and uh, watch them finish their league while pounding a couple brews afterwards. Uh, the old shim. Part yeah. of the, uh, the, the uh, KFOR tailgate with Babber uh, so hopefully someday people will look back and be like, hey, remember that Elijah Herbal guy that was in the league? Yeah, remember that greasy mustache he was rocking? <laughs> Just frightening children. So uh, That shirt with the dice on the front. <laughs> yeah, he was rolling dice. So, Mike, uh, we're talking growing pains, and... That's just typical for new administrations. It just happens with coaching change, and it happens to a lot of programs. A few kind of hit the ground running. Uh, Elijah and I have been watching the Netflix docuseries on Florida and Urban Meyer's time at Florida and how he was, A, overwhelmed at Florida, B, was done in year two. He thought if they didn't make something happen and, and they – won a national championship. I want to get your thoughts on, as you, you've been able to observe Coach Rule and you know what we know about this Nebraska football team about a week out here, do you, do you expect it to be kind of an ebb and flow of up and down, or do you think there's a chance that Nebraska at some point in the year can get into some smooth sailing? Well, I think there's a chance that Nebraska can get in, a, get in some smooth sailing at some point. I the thing that I uh, that I've always said is that uh, you know uh, Coach Rule is so accessible and so engaging. Uh, I think with the media, 
as well as the fans that, uh, you know, it, it, it's difficult to look for potential things that don't work out right. In other words, I think that people think that, well, you know, he's such an engaging guy. He said so many good things. Uh, and so, so much of what has been reported has been in a positive kind of a way that it's going to be difficult, I think, for some fans to be patient if things don't work out uh, immediately. And that's the thing that I think that you have to underscore is that you've got to have a little bit of patience here because it is a new coach and it is a new system. And, you know, players are adjusting. Uh, you have a quarterback that came from another school that is trying to fit into this system. Um, I just think that there are things that you, you have to consider in evaluating where things are going to go uh, from one week to the next, at least to start the season. But, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't expect to happen what happened with, uh, I was just looking through the record book here. I, I remember this. Uh, was it about the fifth game or the sixth game of Bill Callahan's era when they went down to Texas Tech and he... 70 to threw, 10. Yeah. Uh, Bo Davis got thrown in there and just left in. You know, it was just a... It was a terrible thing. You're not going to see anything like that. Um, the, you, do you I, know the, I'm still not sure well, why Bill did that. But. Well, do you know the urban legend behind that? No, I want to hear it. Now, okay. There must be some explanation. The urban legend is a former AD who smiled a lot, went into one of the coach's booths. Again, urban legend, not trying to get sued, and got on the headset and was just like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Pull the kid. And Billy C. did not pull Bo Davis. Interceptions kept raining down. That's the yeah, urban I, legend that, that Stevie P. went into a coach's booth, got on the headset, and kind of got after his head coach. Well, I think that would have been the right thing to do. Myself, I felt bad for, for Bo Davis in that situation because, you know, you just – hang him out to dry and it wasn't all it wasn't all on him but that's the way it you know it it kind of played out there um you know that it was on him uh, so much he had to take the burden of it but Mm -hmm. it was the team it was a team effort there yeah it it was it was it was it was gone for a long time before bo davis came in (laughs) Yeah, yep, it certainly was. Mike, how important do you think it is to to get that strong start in year one? Because you can look back, Bo Pliny, strong start in year one as we kind of laid out. But you look back, Callahan obviously with 70 to 10, and then you have Frost with the whole Akron rain out followed by blowing a lead against Colorado, and then you lose your next six consecutive Hail Mary by, uh, B- by BYU and Riley. Oh, yeah, Hail Mary, BYU and Riley. That took the wind out of the sails. How important do you think it is to at least build some semblance of momentum in year one in order to, to build that into the next couple of years. Cause that's not something Matt rules had at temple and at Baylor. He did not build momentum in year one, but he built experience on his roster, which was valuable there. But I think Nebraska is a little bit unique in the fan support and the fan interest and, in, in what can happen with momentum within a program. If year one doesn't go according to plan. Well, yeah, the fan expectations are not going to be what they're not looking for a season to say uh, what happened at temple and then there was a turnaround or what happened at Baylor. And then there was a turnaround. It was like, you know, they, they don't want that. They don't want to drop back to where the program has been. 
in recent seasons and then say, okay, we're ready for season two. Um, I think they want to see some reflection of what this program can be. And if you can build some momentum at the beginning, as we've talked before, I think it puts you in a better position than to consider bowl eligibility. And, and you know, if you can win those, if you could win the first four games and build up the momentum before you go into the Michigan game, you, I think you could reasonably think this team could win seven games. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think that, you know, that kind of momentum and what it would, were, would reflect in the first four games would give you reason to believe that, yeah, six and six is certainly on the table and maybe seven and five is on the table. And that would be a remarkable, I think, first season given where the program has been. But again, so much positive has been written, and rightly so, that I think people's expectations are probably at that level right now, that uh, Nebraska is going to just go flying out of the gate and roll right through those first four games. And I, you know, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, and you can't, you got to go one game at a time. Brennan chimes in, Mike. I want to get your take uh, on the, the chemistry aspect. That is something that, that is an intangible that really good teams or overachieving teams have. Do you feel good about this year's chemistry, at least, again, based on what we've heard and maybe some seen uh, through, through the eyes of uh, uh, some of the documentary series? Yeah, no, I, I do. I feel good about the chemistry of this team. I think that, you know, having the team stay two weeks in Selleck, um, take, a, take the players out of their comfort zone, um, team building function there that has done that. All, you know, the, the events that they've been, they've gone to as a team, um, the things that they've done as a team, I think there's a lot of effort has, that's gone into the team building. And I feel like that's, that's a positive. That's one thing that you can say is a positive. The other thing is he's not going to name team captains for the season it's going to be a game by game thing until the end he said till the bowl game and then they'll get they'll identify permanent captains but um i think that's part of the team building thing too is you have an opportunity to be a captain and uh guys are going to step up and and do those kinds of things so i think the team building part of it has been uh at top of the list uh, of things and I think that that's been accomplished from everything I've seen and stories I've heard about what's gone on. Mike, to get back to our, our original talking point to lead off the show, can things like team building and, and self-belief, self-confidence, can those type of things overcome the growing pains that are going to be there in year one of a coaching regime? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think if you have confidence in yourself, um, you know, it, it, it's, you're less likely to make those kinds of mistakes. I mean, it's like you can't be constantly thinking this is Coach Rule's first season or this is my first season at Nebraska or whatever and take that pressure. And you probably can't take the pressure that the fans are going to put on you. Um, You've got to focus on your teammates and what the expectations are for you, what your responsibilities are, and, and go with that. And I think that that's the approach that they've, that they have uh, given these players and, you know, they haven't identified uh, uh, a 
a depth chart, and we'll probably get one on Friday. We'll probably see that. But again, you know, Rule said uh, use the example of Lenhart and uh, what Gunnarsson. Mm-hmm. Instead of somebody asked me who the starter was, I'd say yes, <laughs> um, because still they're being competitive, and uh, you, you know you have an opportunity. You're you're putting an opportunity out there for everybody, and I think that's important. Mike, about thirty seconds. Are you concerned about the offense this year? Uh, well, you know, I, I heard Elijah say some of the things that he did about the offense. Mm-hmm. You, you certainly, the line has to come together. There's no question about that. Um, if Anthony Grant takes care of the ball, think about that. You've got Gabe Irvin is for sure the number one running back right now. Ramir Johnson is a third down running back. And Anthony Grant, Marcus Satterfield said, could be among the best running backs in the Big Ten if he takes care of the ball. So, You've got some running backs there. If you've got the offensive line to get the job done up front and a quarterback that cuts down on uh, turnovers, um, I think you've got potential to be a good offense, but it's going to be a learning process and a growing process. Right, and uh, see how, how bad that growing process is and, and when, when, when the, the, the pain goes away, you kind of hit your stride. Mike, will gear up again next week for Nebraska-Minnesota. Thank you for the time today. I'll see if I can throw more balls in the gutter. No, stay away from Thanks, that gutter, guys. Babbers. <laughs> Take care. Love having him on. Mr. Husker Football, Mike Babcock with Hale Varsity at MD Babs. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hale Varsity. We're presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Big thanks to Mike Babcock, about 25 minutes away. Evan Bland going to be with us. Some thoughts from Matt Rule at his sit-down with Colin Cowherd next hour. And also Joel Clant's diagnosis of Nebraska. Plenty of great comments coming in. Get to more of your emails as well. 489-1240. You want to dial up or 800 825 5865 podcast there for you. The segments you want to hear or the entire show, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Check that out. We'll hear from Matt Rule here in uh, just a moment from his sit down with the Sports Nightly crew last night. So Cutter chimes in, and <laughs> there's a lot of you in this boat as Nebraska fans. Uh, first time in my life. I've ever said Nebraska is going to shock Minnesota. Just you wait. Oh, how the mighty have, oh, oh my, how we have fallen. Uh, nonetheless, very optimistic about the future. Uh, Cutter, thanks for checking in on the show. And listen, I mean, Flex 5-1 and one against Nebraska. And he's done it a myriad of ways. He's done it with a non-throwing quarterback against Riley. He's done it with 30 scholarship kids during COVID. He's done it with an imaginary electronic fence at the goal line two years ago when Nebraska's trying to take the lead after the Michigan loss. And yes, again, the last time Nebraska out-Minnesota Minnesota was uh, the 2016 season in a night game 24-17 where the banker shut out the Gophers in the second half, and that might have been part of the Jerry Kill era, maybe? I don't know. When Kill left and and Fleck took over, I know they don't exchange Christmas cards. So, hey, it's all right. I'm not going to tell you what to feel or how to feel. You can be optimistic. I think that's great. And the other side of it, Dion chimes in uh, here on the stream. 
we really do need to be careful and patient because so many of you remember 2018 and, and how that went. You've been waiting on a, quote, savior for a while uh, for Nebraska football to get back at a bare minimum to 9-3. and three. It just doesn't happen that much anymore, Elijah, in college football. But you're, you're hoping it happens again at this uh, storied program. Well, and as you kind of mentioned, we've both been watching the Swamp Kings Untold Story on Netflix, which has its issues. Let's lay that out first and foremost. Urban wants to coach again. Urban wants to coach again. It's this, you could tell this documentary was either done in association with Urban's PR team or to get him in the documentary and said, hey, we need to have some final say here. There's a lot, a lot of drama that gets swept how, under the rug. And a, lot is, and a lot of it's just, man, Urban Meyer, what a great coach. So let's lay that out first. But. As you watch episode one, and as you watch episode two, you can see that, I mean, they even lay it, lay it out. Like, yeah, Leak the quarterback, he does not fit Urban Meyer's offense. And we get Tim Tebow for that, but they win a national championship without Tim Tebow as their starting quarterback. It's a lot of guys that are carried over from previous coaching regimes that well, aren't that the great. Zucker, the Zucker was incredible at recruiting. He was just not great at coaching. Yeah, and, and that's kind of along the lines of what we saw with Bo Pelini at following the Callahan years, but you watch that and you see like there are some growing pains in, in year one for that Florida Gators program, but also with the skill that they have, which doesn't necessarily fit Urban, but there is some skill there. Urban brings the most out of him by instilling a lot of things that we're hearing in this uh, a look-in documentary of team bonding togetherness mm-hmm. it's a brotherhood the the shared suck man this is going to suck for everybody and there's gonna be days you don't want to be here but you're going to show up and you're going to give full effort because you guys are all in this together and you're going to do it for the brother next to you and it's almost that element of willing yourself to victory mm-hmm. above the skill and above the fit and above all the the growing pains is is that team came together and you could tell from the behind the scenes footage and what the, the players say following now as they look back on their career it was pure will and desire to win, and less even desire to win, but that hatred of losing that they mm-hmm. kind of got from Urban, that that allowed them to to have that quick build up to a national championship in year two under Urban. I'm not saying that's what Nebraska is going to do in year one or year two. I think they're digging themselves up from a much deeper hole than what Florida had to do at the time. But you can see how they were able to overcome issues within a rebuild simply by having guys on the football field that that care more than the other team, that have more will than the other team to get it done and go get a win. Well, and you know, the the will versus skill topic is very real, and you need the will power to, uh, to match that skill level and vice versa. I mean, it needs to be a 50% partnership. You need dudes, you need players, but you need the right mentality and mindset first where it's about the team – Versus just the individual accolades. How much selfishness is on the team? You need a degree of it. I mean, you need to be a, a different dude, have an ego, and have that work ethic and drive to match what your aspirations are. You also need that bulletproof confidence of uh, if I screw up, a I'm not going to screw up. B if I do screw up, it ain't going to happen again. You need you need that, and I think that's where Nebraska's at, where. They need to be able to, to not go into PTSD mode, and that's been over several coaches. And I think Rule's a guy that is going to get a lot out of that will. And you do have some skill with guys that can play, but how much have they been able to unleash? Are we going to see guys play at a different level than we've seen them play? There's been steady talent. There's been steady contributors. 
but are you going to see guys blow up that you're awaiting for them to where did that guy come from I mean, sue sue was an all big 12 performer but he went to all world right mm-hmm. and i'm not saying they've got a sue on the team what i am saying is do you have a guy that makes a jump from contributor to to all conference uh, you had guys like Trey Palmer pegged to be that guy last year. You got a guy in Anthony Grant that everyone thinks is incredible if he can hold on to the football. Well, I can name guys all over the team that you've seen the potential in. And the, the big one that that I would have laid out as of two weeks ago is Xavier Betts, but unfortunately he's no longer mm-hmm. with the team. And that's why there's some some concerns in that wide receiver room, especially when you combine it with other injuries that's been faced there during fall camp. But especially on that defensive side of the ball, you've seen Ty Robinson. I think back to two years ago, I think a lot of Husker fans saw him and said, that's a dude. Quentin Newsom's mm-hmm. been on the field a whole bunch. You've seen Reimer and Henrich both be able to play really, really good Big Ten football. Are those guys able to make another jump for this defense in order to lead them to a place where you're a, you're one of the top defenses in the Big Ten? Because I think that's what it's going to take if Nebraska wants to exceed expectations in your one. You have need to have a defense that's near the top of the conference to pick up while the offense is, is dealing with some of those growing pains because you have more experience on that defensive side of the ball. Offensively, you've seen the potential of Irvin. You've seen the potential of Anthony Grant. In limited action, you've seen the potential of Thomas Fedoni and what he can be. Uh, and Jeff Sims is another guy. He was at Georgia Tech, but you see the potential of these coach, the coaching staff sees in him with the arm strength and the athleticism. Can this coaching staff get the most out of those guys and take them to another level? Because that's the question in my book is in, on if Nebraska can exceed expectations and, and be able to play through those growing pains and still find a successful season whenever those growing pains come. Not if, but when. I, I'm, I'm more about meeting expectations if they exceed Fair them, enough. great. But, but, <laughs> but I mean, get, get, get there. And instead of, wow, uh, did you see Sims do X, Y, and Z against Clemson? I did. But can you get a whole game of that? Uh, We'll take some of your calls here. Uh, Interesting in that kind of comparison, we spent time on some uh, parallels with Saban and how he does the process. Similar to Rule, we talked with Lars Anderson yesterday about that. Both guys coming back from the NFL. And then that chemistry point of emphasis from Urban Meyer, it's also there with Matt Rule with this new football team. We'll wind down hour one next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour, Evan Bland coming up. Room for you also in hour two around 520. Pete jumps in here on Hale Varsity Radio. Pete, go ahead. Thanks for calling. I guess if I was a coach, I guess my emphasis would be to get first downs, move the ball, take up time, give my defense rest. If you look at last year, the defense was pretty good. But in the second half, they always got wore down, and that's when the big plays happened uh, with the opposing team, and that's when they got touchdowns and flipped scores. I really think the quarterback's going to have to run the beginning of the the season. I don't think we're going to be a fun-and-gun type team. I think we're going to have to go physical. We're going to have to go running, and we're going to have to make sure priorities get first downs, not just flip the ball 40, 50 yards for touchdowns. If they do that, they've got a fighting chance, I think. You know, it's going to be about that physical style of offense. Pete, thanks for the phone call. Don't disagree with you there. And I think that's what he's been trying to prep the guys for in, in camp as they lead up to Minnesota. Well, I don't doubt that that's their philosophy. The question in my mind is, is, is that their ability? Are you yeah. able to go find, <laughs> it, back to what we were talking about last segment, skill versus will? Like, you can have all the will in the world, 
to go want to run the football, but there is the, the skill element there that's going to be important. Like, I, I think some growing pains, you know, like you can overcome an interception because you didn't have enough time to rep some routes in fall camp. You can overcome that with Will in the fourth quarter uh, if, if you're still in a football game. Can you overcome not being able to run the football against Michigan's defensive line because their defensive line is just that much better than your offensive line with Will? No, it, it's it's kind of back to that that bowling discussion of of strikes and gutter balls and, and spares. Like hang around, like find a way to hang around. Like, I, I can sit here and say, hey, the 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 key to to getting high scores in bowling is to avoid gutter balls and, and go get your spares and pick those up so you can start adding points. But at the end of the day, do you have the skill to go do that? Let's uh, hear from Matt Rule with the network last night. Uh, not a great practice yesterday uh, per Satterfield. And Rule put a little bit of a positive spin on it with working through some of the, the kinks. But I love days like today. What people have to understand about me is like, you know, sometimes you say hey, it wasn't a great practice and I think everyone gets all up in arms like every day is not going to be great. I love the chaotic days. I love the days where it's like, Man, you know, coach to us off the field, coach this, coach that. Like, because as I say to them, I'm not playing games with them. I'm trying to teach them how to deal with chaos. I'm trying to teach them how to deal with adversity. Like, it, to me, the example I give to them, and forgive me if this is long, just tell me to shut up. But, like, you remember when you were a little kid, and I, I stole this from a book, it's not me, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Remember when you were a little kid, and they'd say, hey, we're going out for like the presidential run, we're going to go run a mile. And what do little kids do? They just start sprinting, right? Because uh, they're so excited to run. And all of a sudden, they realize how long it is, and they, and they stop and they walk. And when you, when you get a little older and you understand the pace of what's expected, you can manage it. And so for our guys, if they get into a game and they think it's going to be a, an easy sprint, and all of a sudden it's a marathon, that, that's when the problems come. I want our guys to understand that on every game, it's going to be chaotic. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be adversity. And at some point, they have to just turn their brains off and go play football. And so if that's me screaming and yelling and them saying to themselves in the, in the back of their head, I wish he'd just shut up. I, ask, I hope they, they don't say it to me with their, you know, out loud. But if that's what's going on in the back of their heads, then we're getting to the point where they're ready to handle the adversity of game day. That's been a big-time issue for way too long, and that's why you're bowless for six years, is the adversity has been plenty, and the prep for it and the fight through has been minimal. One critique to make on it. So some of us went and did those fun runs, and they were husky kids, mm-hmm. like, uh, like me. We, we you walked, started off by walking. You didn't start off by sprinting. You, you walked out of necessity. <laughs> right? so just, the one critique I have on that. That's all right. Uh, the sprint, right? Sprint versus the marathon. And uh, Evan Bland with us. Kickoff hour two. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by Currency. The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Back with you, Tower 2 at Tail Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We welcome in Evan Bland with the Omaha World Herald. Find him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. And he's gearing up for some excellent football coverage this fall again with the with the crew from the World Herald. Evan, uh, are you uh, still pacing yourself? Or are you in full season mode? Are you, are you wishing kickoff was tomorrow? 
You know, I don't know if there really is such thing as an off season anymore. Like it used to be that you, you could kind of get away for a couple months, but with recruiting and I mean, Big Ten Media Days was like a month ago. So in some ways, uh, the, the season's kind of a little bit of a break because we actually can see things. I'm excited, man. It's you know we're what a week away from volleyball and eight days away from football in Minneapolis. So this is a great time of year. It is outstanding and. A lot to get to, and and I know uh, with the uh, Pick 6 podcast, you guys laid out some predictions, and not to to retread too much, but I want to get your your take. We haven't talked to you uh, about Ted Carter. I want to go there first, and uh, of course, Coach Rule last night said, you know, just tough tough loss for for, uh, Nebraska. Uh, Your reaction, because we were all kind of like jaw to floor (laughs) with the the news. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, we, we just left post uh, post practice, and it pops. And yeah, I mean, I was shocked. I know Nebraska administration didn't see that thing coming. They were blindsided by the news. And in one sense, obviously, you're happy for Ted Carter as he furthers his career and, and has uh, you know answers what he felt was a calling for him. But there's no doubt it's disappointing for Nebraska at this point when it really did feel like. Uh, a lot of the the power brokers had had lined up between him and Trev Alberts and the AD's chair and Matt Rule. There really did feel like there was a synergy. And you know, you think back to Matt Rule's comments in the off season about how instrumental Ted Carter was in him coming to Nebraska. And I think it was the 2016 game, maybe, uh, where Ted Carter's there for Navy and and Matt Rule with Temple and and that toughness that that Temple team showed, even just in warmups. Um, you know, really stood out to Carter and, and, and Matt Rule has a lot of respect for him and his uh, Navy background and all the rest. And so uh, it, it's interesting. And, you know, the, the Nebraska uh, regents had just restructured things so that uh, that Carter would oversee Nebraska athletics. And he's had that seat at the, at the table for the Big Ten uh, presidents and chancellors the last couple of months, too. So how Nebraska adjusts from that will be really interesting. Do they go back to sort of the, the chancellor being a liaison, uh, you know, to, to the athletic department? Do you, do you let Trev Alberts do it? I think that's an option you have to consider given his, um, you know, his abilities as an administrator as well. So surprising news. It doesn't have to be a big deal if you make the right hire, but certainly, um, a, you know, a, a surprise twist here with just a week before the season. Evan, now that we've had 24 hours, we got some reaction from Matt Rule. I saw a clip this morning of Jim Pillen reacting to the news. How big of a deal do you think this is in the long term? Because we've we've seen really two sides to this. There's been a, a subset of people saying, who cares? This is administration. This isn't going to affect the football program. Then you have the other side of people who feels like the, the world is ending. Oh, my God, Ted Carter's off to Ohio State. This is so indicative of the past couple years of Nebraska. Of course, something's going to go wrong. Where are you at on this in terms of how big of a deal this is? specifically to the football program, but really to the athletic department as a whole? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you have to have a little perspective and think, okay, five years ago, who in Nebraska knew, even knew who Ted Carter was? And, like, you know, the, the university went on, the athletic department went on. They'll go on with whoever comes in next. I think what stood out about Ted Carter as somebody who was, again, president over the entire system, University of Nebraska system, uh, was that he did take an interest in athletics. And he, you know, would lace up his uh, his skates and go skating with the Mavs. Or he would come to Nebraska, uh, you know, athletic events, football and other things. So he took an interest in that. He 
you know, he had a, uh, a desire and I think a talent to be in the mix uh, with the Big Ten and, and what they had to handle as well. And I think he understood, too, that, like, it's it's just a reality that the football program at Nebraska is the front porch to the university, and it does affect enrollment. I mean, I I can name a lot of friends uh, who went to the University of Nebraska in the early 2000s because the football team was good. And then you figure out the academics and, and, and kind of go from there. But there's no doubt that if you're looking to increase enrollment, increase uh, excitement for your university that then plays out through the academic uh, realm, I, the football program is a part of that. And so good, bad, or otherwise, that's just a reality. I think Ted Carter understood that. Um, you know, and I think it's valuable that he's going to still be around through the rest of the calendar year to, to maybe even have a say in who ends up replacing him. Um, but I, I just think his, his sort of blend of, of understanding the academic side and the passion he had for athletics made him a really unique administrator for Nebraska. And Evan, to your point, even 2017 to, to 2021, whenever I was in school, I'd still go talk to people from out of state and say, why Nebraska? Well, I grew up watching Husker football every single Saturday, and I needed to see this in, in person. I wish the results were better. And that was always my question of, of man, like, what a four years you picked. But it's still a selling point to, to students from Chicago and Kansas City and really everywhere. Kids in California, man, I was a Husker fan growing up. I, I just wanted to be a Husker. Well, you know, that's a lot of folks I, I partied with in college were in-state kids, but instead of going maybe somewhere outer banks that was a little cheaper, they would come to Lincoln for football. Absolutely. Evan Bland with us. Evan, a, a thought from you. You talk about Ted Carter, and he was absolutely an advantage for Nebraska. When we get to football, where do you see Nebraska having an advantage? And I want to just keep it to the Big Ten West. Where, where are some areas you think Nebraska can be better than their opponents that have pretty much had their way the last few years? Well, I think the back of the defense can be an asset for Nebraska. You're not going to find a lot more experience in your middle linebacker group than what Nebraska has with Nick Henrich and Luke Reimer. So I think that's a place that you can start. Uh, you know, Quentin Newsom's played a lot of good football for Nebraska. He's, he's back as a corner. So I think you're, you know, you're feeling pretty good about that back seven uh, or eight, depending on how it goes. I think if the quarterback position could end up being an asset for Nebraska as well. I think Jeff Sims is, is a top half of the league sort of guy, especially if he tamps down on some of the turnovers that, that kind of hounded him at, at Georgia Tech when they asked him to do maybe more than what Nebraska will. Um, I think special teams, I mean, you think about how many times special teams has hurt Nebraska. Uh, I think Brian Buschini can be one of the best punters in the Big Ten. That's a weapon that they had last year, but before that it's been a struggle. Uh you know, and I think that the, the tight end position and the running back spots can be assets for Nebraska as well. I think there's a lot of depth there. Um, so even if the guys that you figure might be your number ones uh, don't burst out of the gates, like there are there are, there's, there are other guys there that you can make a case that they could uh, you know play their way into a prominent role too. So I think you have a little bit of depth there. Um, and, and and again, I think the experience defensively is really interesting to me because they are overhauling the scheme in a lot of ways. Um, but you, you know, you look at the guys who got the single digit jerseys, a lot of those, you know, are, are from the defensive side. I mean, I'm curious to see what a guy like John Bullock can do. Uh, it just feels like maybe 
that side of the ball can be a little bit more of an asset for Nebraska than it's been, especially, you know, again, considering uh, how much of an overhaul they've had to go through this offseason. Evan Bland with us here from the Omaha World Herald on Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, I think I've I've brought up this topic before here during fall camp. I want to bring it up here again to you. How much of the water do you think the defense is going to have to carry early in the season with some injuries on that offensive side of the ball? They're going to have to find their legs. And I, I think the momentum out of fall camp is that, that, at least to me, the concern with the offense is starting to, to elevate just a little bit with some reports out of the scrimmages, some discussions of fumbles. How much water do you think that defense is going to have to carry against teams like Minnesota and Colorado? Yeah, I think a, a pretty good amount. You know, I don't know that it's going to be 2009, but I, I do think that, uh, that, yeah, I mean, that's where the experience is. That's where a lot of the leadership is. I just think there are a lot of questions offensively. You know, the, we, we talked about the receiver depth or, or lack thereof. There's a lot of, of, of guys who are either injured or new or, or, or asked to do something that really they haven't done before. Um, you know, the running back spot. I think Gabe Irvin can be that guy. I know Matt Rule loves him, but we haven't we haven't seen it, and, and a lot of that's been injury related. But I think a lot of what the what we're talking about on the offense requires, you know, a leap of faith or or projecting things that haven't happened yet. You know, Thomas Fedoni, for all of the talent that he has, uh, hasn't done it yet on the field because of injuries. Jeff Sims, we know what he's been at Georgia Tech. Can he be a different person? Uh, in terms of, of completion percentage and, and giveaways and things like that, can he be a different person at Nebraska? So I think it can happen. The, the offensive line sort of the same deal. Um, with a lot of familiar faces, can they take a step forward? Um, so it, it just it feels to me like if you're saying Nebraska is going to have a good offense, you have to make a lot of assumptions to get to that point, whereas defensively, you know, how big of a of a step is it to say that Luke Reimer is going to do what he did uh, again, or Quentin Newsom, or that Ty Robinson is going to uh, really thrive in a bigger role, or Nash Hutmacher? Like, I, I just feel like that side of the ball has more a much more plausible, um, you know, path to being an asset for Nebraska this season. Evan, where are you at with with your prediction with Nebraska from an expectation standpoint? Are you expecting? Six and six and better, or and, and a bowl trip, or is that too much to ask? Looking at it from a realistic standpoint, with all the new and the question marks on the offensive line and in the depth, the, the the depth question marks defensive line. I know Rules talked about how much he loves the young guys, but that's also a, a question mark just because it they, they've not played college ball before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think they can make a bowl game this year. I know that's sort of the the baseline expectation. And, you know, when I look at the schedule, um, I, I absolutely see a path to six wins, maybe maybe more than that. I mean, you know, their, their first two home games with Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech, like, those were, were not good teams last year, especially defensively. Like, that's that was, those are teams Nebraska should handle. Colorado, of course, is the great unknown, but that's, I mean, their, their level of turnover is unprecedented in college football. What, How ready are they going to be in their second week of the season. I think the the stretch after the bye week where you've got, you know, Maryland and Purdue and 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 some of those other teams, like that's another stretch where you can make some hay if you're Nebraska. And and I would also point back to just the last couple of years, as tough as they've been uh, in terms of the final record, like Nebraska for the most part has not been overwhelmed from a talent perspective in those games. They've fallen short in the fourth quarter. They've had all the one-score losses, the special teams miscue, what have you. I, I do. I believe that you know the, the the power of 
the Matt Rule hire and the synergy of that staff, that's where that stuff shows up is in all those little things that have cost Nebraska games. So I don't think they're outmanned uh, you know, against anybody maybe other than Michigan from a talent standpoint. It's all those little things and how much um, you know, that can get cleaned up here from an offseason under a new staff. Evan Bland with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, have you gotten a chance to see the uh, the Swamp Kings documentary on Netflix? The, the question, if you have seen it, is essentially how replicable is that with Nebraska? Because, I mean, a lot of what you're hearing from that documentary, if you haven't seen it yet, is things like building brotherhood, building togetherness, embracing the suck, and, and having a team that comes out better because of it in the at the end. And I think Urban Meyer... Uh, had a, a shallower hole to dig from with that Florida program. But there's a lot of, of comparisons I think you can be made between what Urban Meyer did at Florida and what Matt Rule's trying to accomplish in Nebraska whenever you see some of this stuff from a look-in and, and see what Urban was doing behind the scenes. Have you got a chance to see it, and what do you think of that take? Well, I, I've seen just a little bit of it, but I do think, to your larger point, that that there is value in some of that culture stuff. And I know a, a lot of times that gets kind of the, the eye rolls and it kind of feels like off-season fluff stuff. But I, I think back to something that actually Phelan Sanford, you know, the, the veteran uh, fifth-year guy at Nebraska, said earlier in camp where he said, you know, the value of that comes when there are, you know, maybe injuries or, or a key moment in the middle of the season when you have to rely on a guy who's maybe not a starter, maybe he's an underclassman or a new guy. And if you've gone through all this other stuff, then you know how that person's going to react in that moment. And if you, if you don't know them, if, if guys kind of kept to their cliques or, or whatever, and this guy comes in, you have no idea uh, how he's going to respond, what he's all about, how you interact with him. And so I think that's where, you know, I think that's why Nebraska does the stuff like, you know, Matt Rule enters a room and everyone stands up and greets each other, or they have freshman talent shows, or they're doing coaches' impressions, or they, you know, they're spending two weeks in the dorms together. Like, sure, it, it builds camaraderie and it's fun and it kind of takes your mind off the stuff, but it, it also does, I think, in those moments when inevitably guys get hurt or uh, through performance they have to make some kind of a personnel change. Like, that's when you can make those sorts of changes seamlessly and you trust the guys that are not the starters i think that's where you can go from being just an okay team to a pretty good one you nailed it because you go with that that trust word you know the guy and uh you're able to go to work with him and in that who knows uh that's a little thing that could be a difference if a second or third teamer's got to come in in a, in a tight fourth quarter game uh, does it expose the defense or the offense or do they keep on trekking and, and uh-huh. find a way to, to get it handled in a, in a tight ball game in the Big Ten. Evan, we will run you down again, bud. Uh, maybe from Minneapolis, maybe uh, from here. Uh, we'll, we'll just get next Wednesday figured out uh, with travel and everything, but awesome to talk and we'll gear up next week for Minnesota v. Nebraska. How's that sound? Sounds great, guys. Let's pack our bags and get up there. All right, man. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks. There he is, Evan Bland with us. Find him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. And uh, some thoughts with Matt Rule. He sat down with Colin Cowherd. We'll dive into the expectations part of this equation. Hail Varsity continues presented by Currency. And now. And now. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Evan Bland and Mike Babcock today. You can find them on our podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hale Varsity Radio. 
the audio, the segments you want to hear, or the full show, the video portion Hail Varsity YouTube channel and the replay, the Hail Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Give us a find on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio or at Herbal Essence for Elijah. And we've hit a lot of things here. We talked a little bit of growing pains, how much year one will hurt, or if that pain will go away as the team gets better. I think Nebraska gets better under rule as the year goes on. It may not be great early, but I think as it progresses, they can can find a sweet spot. Uh, the will versus the skill. Nebraska's got some skill. Really liked what Evan was talking about with Nebraska really not being outmatched that often in previous seasons. Clearly, the obvious matchup issues, the Ohio States and Michigans of the world, but uh, they were not outclassed athletically. It was more uh, fundamentally and at some, t- at some points physically, that it was an issue for Nebraska. So a lot of upside to this year, and it could get a real kickstart with uh, a win next Thursday night. And I, again, I'm waffling, but I will settle on one side or the other when we get to prediction time. Yeah, and when are we going to lock in our season predictions? You think? Because I think next we, next week, next Thursday, we'll we'll finally lock in our predictions for Nebraska Minnesota on the show. I well, think well, that's well we yeah, we'll have to get a hold of Clausburn, make sure he's not in some foreign prison, and and do a at least a a, a one shot pod hit with with Claus. Do we on, do a season predictions then on Wednesday if we got Claus and in game by game prediction or sorry Minnesota predictions on Thursday I think we, we we spend time talking Nebraska Minnesota Thursday and and then maybe Wednesday Tuesday we have plenty of time to, to huddle up oh, yeah. on this and, and get it handled well, let's talk as last night you had rule on the Husker Network today he spent time with Colin Cowherd and a little bit of commentary from uh, rule with Cowherd and this is rule he's asked about by the herd on kind of his travels, right? He's been in the different parts of the U.S. He's been in Big 12 country. He's been at UCLA. He's been in the NFL. But more specifically here, what is it about Big 10 football? Here is Coach Rule. I think the defense, uh, the defenses in the, in the Big 10 do a great job. And they just smother you. You know, they, 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 they. They're physical. They keep everything in front of you. They're built to play in November and December. You know, when you're in the ACC or the SEC, you're maybe not dealing with the same elements that you're dealing with in the Big Ten, at least as it stands now. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing for us, you know. And I think you look at the offensive linemen in the Big Ten, you know, yes. last year, maybe the year before, the most guys drafted. So um, you're looking at big, powerful, physical offensive lines, big, powerful defenses, and uh, it's a game built for playing in the weather. It is. And when we get down to its base level, you as a Nebraska fan have expectations of the program, of the coach, of the team, what you want to see. And those expectations are being carved out uh, through the offseason and they need to be implemented in season. So baseline expectations win enough to go bowling and this horrid streak of home for the holidays as a program and as a team get better as the year goes on. Nebraska fans love that. I know the end of the year always hurt a lot of times with Oklahoma or maybe a bowl loss to Miami or a Florida State. That said, uh, you'd play a good team in the non-conference game 
and you'd get better as the year went on. You'd gear up, you'd ramp up for the Colorado showdown or the Oklahoma showdown or if Okie State had a good year or Missouri. I mean, you could sprinkle in some teams that weren't always consistent but may raise up from one year to another. But you got better as a football team. And then are you physical? Are you tough? And when it came down to it, were you able to TKO your opponent? It's how you want to win. You just want to win right now. But there's a method to it. And Cowherd was asked about, I should say, asked Rule about expectations for year one. I, I told our guys the other day, it usually takes me three years. And I wish I could do it faster. I'm, I'm just not smart enough to be able to do it in one year. But there's a bunch of guys on this roster that, that are seniors, man. They, so it's either, is it, is, it, is it Matt Rule, Coach Rule's year one, or is it your guys' year four? And if guys like Jeff Sims, if, if guys like you know, all the great juniors and seniors we have, if they make it their team, then I think, I think Colin will be a team that people have to deal with, you know, um, week in and week out. If it's, if it's me, then, you know, I better, better wait for year two and year three. So I, our guys have really taken the bull by the horns. One thing about being in Nebraska is, is, is these guys, they, they love the University of Nebraska. They love being Cornhuskers, and they, they want to be the team that gets us back on track. It's so true. And you hear coaches talk about it a lot, Elijah, where, hey, it's player-led. It's player-led. Are the, are the players ready to lead? Are they ready to take over the responsibility? Rules touched on some guys that are those temperature setters. If you have them and they translate that from practice to game day Saturday or Thursday in a week, then that'll be your difference. Uh, A lot of other programs have had those guys help transform where an Illinois used to be at. Wisconsin's trying to get back to it. Iowa has had a lot of success. Purdue, Northwestern before their mishaps. They've had some, some of those teams, but Nebraska's just had it it's been missing for for too long and not to to harp on this documentary too much which has its flaws but swamp kings it gets into it and i believe episode one where tim tebow talks about the fact that the players decided you know what to keep guys from going out on the weekends on friday and saturday are lifting the arrest numbers down yeah which didn't work perfectly uh towards the end of the tenure at least uh but early on it was the players saying hey fridays and saturdays we lift from midnight until 2 a.m because you guys are going to want to go out at that time. We're going to make sure that you guys are in here in the weight room. And even you see the weight room videos, these guys are, are wanting to quit. <laughs> they got teammates coming over. And whenever it gets hard, they're slapping them on the arms and slapping them to keep that adrenaline going and keep them going. Because they're working out at 1 in the morning with war paint on. It's, it's what those guys did. And that's what the player-led aspect was. It wasn't Urban Meyer there at midnight saying, you guys better get a lift. And it's the players getting in there and saying, hey, we need to keep on track. We need to remain focused. And to keep you guys from going out and partying, this is when we're going to lift. Midnight. On a Friday night, and that's that's what that player-led element is. Whenever it's a coach telling you, "Hey, midnight on a Friday night, come in here, come work out with the guys," it, it's you know it's a roll your eyes type moment of, "Oh my God, this guy's going to make us coming at midnight on a Friday." Whenever it's the number one quarterback in the country and the leaders of your defense and the leaders of your offense saying, "Hey, you guys are in here at midnight and you're going to be lifting," the, the team is going to be much more willing to accept that. Whenever it's it's a peer that's telling you that as opposed to a coach. What yeah? What are you you there for? And think about recruiting visits. And if, if your recruiting host is like, yeah, dude, we have this great midnight to 2 a.m. session. Oh, yeah? Where's the bar? Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's in the, the weight room. That's what we're about. If someone's pitching it to you that is your recruiting host versus your coach saying, oh, yeah, surprise, guess what? <laughs> your, uh, your fake ID is not needed because you're going to be uh, in the weight room. It's a mandatory midnight to 2 a.m. lift. And think about the difference between that. One is 
you know what, I'm going to be there because my coach says I have to be there and I want to make sure I'm on this good side. The other side is I'm going to be there because my my teammates are counting on me to be there with them and and that work we get in is going to help us in the fall. And if I'm not there, I'm letting my teammates down. Very big difference in mentality when it comes to showing up at midnight for a lifter, showing up on a 104-degree day and getting a good practice in during fall camp whenever you're a little over a week out or, or what have you. It's just a different mindset whenever you're there because you don't want to let your peers down, your friends down, the guys that are, are, are strapping it up and, and getting on the field next to you on Saturdays. Completely different mindset than, man, I need to be here so my coach sees me to make sure that he knows I'm putting in the work so I can get play time this fall. Different. Yeah, different. what's the motive? Uh, Rule talked about handling the expectations at Nebraska. You know, I, I think people have, you know, they, they're, they're at a point now where it's been seven or eight years, and I think people are just hungry for a step in the right direction, you know, and so – and I think people are excited about the things that we've done, you know, the way we've recruited, the way we've tried to get around the state. Um, you know, I, I know people want to win, but they also want to do things kind of the Nebraska way, you know. And right. Like for me, like being, being here, Colin, is like college football's version of like chicken soup for the soul. Like this, this is great people. <laughs> I mean, Tom Osborne came up the other day just to shake my hand and wish me luck in the first game. Like you want to talk to someone like me that loves college football. It's like I'm pinching myself. So, yes, there's expectations and people want us to win, but. We also need to kind of go back to playing in the way that Nebraska's used to. We need to be a physical team. We need to be a hard-nosed team. Yes. We can't lose games in the fourth quarter. Amen. I mean, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're putting the uh, the eye black on right now. You win in the fourth quarter, and, and you win a certain way, and that's by putting the opposing team out like a cigarette. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the imagery that comes to my mind. Uh, things wrap up between Rule and Cowherd. Talking Coach Prime and Nebraska's schedule. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I've, I've followed it from afar, you know, because they, they do such a good job of filming everything. And I, I think it's good for football right now. You know, I, I don't college football can't just be like in the southeast and a couple schools in the north. It's got to be what Lincoln's doing at USC, what, 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 what Coach Sanders is doing at Colorado hopefully what we're doing in the middle of the country. Like, this has to be a nationwide thing. And so um, you can tell from, from uh, that the Dion and his staff are they're going to recruit relentlessly and they're going to they're going to have their team ready to play. It'll be a great, great game. And to think that Nebraska, Colorado is relevant again, will be on national TV. Uh, I think that's pretty cool for the game. So that was Cowherd and Rule. We'll sneak in some Joel Klatt real quick and his uh, confidence level in Rule being able to fix this. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, is there anyone better for this job? Now, Nebraska fans, you might get upset at this because I've said this before, right? I believed in Scott Frost. I tried to talk you all all off the ledge over the course of the last few years. But this is different. This is different. And here's why. While I did believe in Frost, and he certainly did it at UCF, Rule has done something that is very similar to this before. Temple wasn't a juggernaut. He built them up into a very successful program. But then when he went to Baylor, it wasn't just that Baylor had fallen you know, and like behind competitively. No, 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 no. Baylor was a disaster, culturally, a disaster. He went in there when no one else would touch it. No one would touch Baylor with a 10-foot pole. And you know what? I couldn't argue with those people. I thought it was going to take Baylor forever to get back out. I thought what had happened to them was analogous or similar to SMU death penalty status. Right? Not from, from a sanction standpoint, but just from a perception standpoint. And you look up in a couple of years, and Matt Rule had built them into a 
game winner and an eventual Big 12 champion. Now, I know that they didn't win it under Matt Rule, but he built them to that point. So, like, his DNA, his his ability and his track record, more specifically, I think really fits what Nebraska is trying to do. Culture part, we've had a lot of that here, the almost two hours of this midweek edition. It all kind of comes back to that, the culture, the chemistry. We'll wind down a Wednesday. Jock Doc's on the way. Hail Varsity continues. We're presented by Currency. And now. And now, back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hail Varsity Radio. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday. Nebraska Orthopedic Center, Dr. Brandon Seifert with us. And Dr. Brandon, we're getting closer to the NFL and uh, one of the wideouts in this draft I've been excited to see is Jackson Smith and Jigba. He wore out teams in the Big Ten, and he's up in Seattle now, but he's going to be uh, watching for a while with a busted-up wrist. Yeah, absolutely. And so sounds like he has a fracture in the wrist. They're not being real specific again about kind of where this is, uh, but we can, we can do our best to speculate as to where this injury is located. Uh, but they talked about him needing some surgery for the wrist, maybe being out anywhere from three to four weeks, which is uh, pretty aggressive. I would say it's fairly optimistic, especially for any type of fracture that needs to be fixed with operative fixation. Uh, but definitely, you know, reasonable depending on, you know, where this is and the size of it. You know, as we speculate on this, common kind of wrist fractures in our football population, you know, one of the most common of it we call a distal radius fracture. So if you kind of follow your thumb up past the wrist, kind of the bone that comes off that's called the radius and typically we'll see wrist fractures in that area um, if you move to the outside of your wrist there's a bone that kind of forms the very outside of your wrist kind of a bony prominence so that's called your ulna so this is that's probably the area that we're talking about um, if it's a fracture of the ulna which can happen with uh, contact uh, oddly enough if you get hit just right these used to be called nightstick fractures where you get hit with a policeman's nightstick but they can occur by any type of trauma sometimes our softball pitchers will get hit here you can break part of that ulna most of the time you can let those heal on their own uh, but oftentimes we'll put uh, especially in our high level athletes we'll put a plate over that just to make sure that ensures it's healing and stability and typically with those you actually could go back pretty quickly within a couple weeks of play that might be what we're dealing with here the other option would be, as we talked about, that distal radius, which is the end of the radius at the wrist. Typically, those injuries are more kind of into the joint itself, what we call an intraarticular fracture. And those tend to require kind of longer recovery, so I'm assuming it's not going to be that. It's Dr. Brandon Seifert with us here at Jock Doc Wednesday on Hale Varsity Radio. And Dr. Brandon, some Twitter sleuths seem to have found the play in which this happened to Jackson Smith and Jigba. It was a, uh, a crossing pattern, and he goes down to the one-yard line, gets tackled from behind, and puts that left wrist out to brace his fall. And immediately after the play, you can see him flexing that hand as he clearly feels something in his wrist. And you laid out two of the, the main injury concerns here. I saw a third one on Twitter, though. I want to get your take on uh, a... Uh, a doctor on Twitter says he was worried about it being a scaphoid fracture. What is that, and uh, what, what's the difference between that type of injury and the two you just laid out? You know, the big thing there, just in terms of, again, we're, we're speculating mm-hmm. here, but I would lean against that one just because if you're going to have a scaphoid fracture and they have to fix it, 
you have to really protect those well just because the blood supply there is pretty tenuous. And so those folks are going to be out, I would imagine, the rest of the season. I can't imagine somebody releasing a scaphoid within 8 to 12 weeks after surgery. That would be pretty risky. Um, your question about, you know, what is a scaphoid fracture? So, again, if you follow, kind of start at the tip of your thumb, and you kind of follow that thumb all the way to kind of where there's a, uh, we call a, anatomic snuff box, but kind of a soft spot right at the side of your wrist. The scaphoid lives there. Um, the reason why we know a lot about the scaphoid is it's an area that does not have great blood supply. So if you break that area, in particular if you break kind of towards the top, towards the elbow side, those tend to go on to what we call a non-union where they don't heal um, and can require some special one surgery to have to put some bone graft in there. Um, so, again, I would not assume this is a scaphoid just based on the recovery timetable they're telling us. And these are usually injuries that we get a lot more nervous about. I just haven't felt that that's been kind of what their presentation was with his injury. Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. If you're thinking about drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba for fantasy, uh, maybe wait a round or two, out three to four weeks with a wrist injury that requires surgery. A lot's been made about Smith and Jigba and his quickness and his ability to separate either over the middle or on go routes, Dr. Brandon. But his size, he is a well tinier slot receiver. Do you worry about his ability to, to be available, not just with the wrist beyond, but just, uh, I mean, you've seen small dudes and some survive, some don't in the NFL. Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, he de- definitely puts himself at a little higher risk for his size. Um, you know, having this kind of wrist injury causing a long-term impact, most likely not. Again, if it is the odd instance that it is a scaphoid fracture and they're going to be this aggressive, uh, then I would worry about it. If they're going to be that aggressive about it not healing, and that can be detrimental long-term because that re- could require further surgery if it went on to not heal. But most likely this is not that. More likely in an area that, you know, heals really well, especially with surgical fixation. And I wouldn't anticipate, at least from the wrist perspective, a long-term problem for him. Uh, but again, the size factor may be an issue down the road. From a comfort standpoint, once whatever exactly this is is repaired, he's recovered, he's back on the field, will he feel any lingering effects just catching the football and just doing what he normally does? Is there going to be pain or uh, some remnants of, of discomfort? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you start thinking about you know what he is required to do with his hands and his wrists, his dexterity, that kind of reach, that you know feel that he has for catching the ball. This obviously is going to change that at least in the short term. Um, there'll be you know quite a bit of stiffness with these. That's usually the hardest part with these is getting back that kind of free range of motion within your wrist. So that will limit him some, just in terms of catching ability. Um, and then also there's just kind of that contact to the area so you have to obviously take in contact here it's going to be sore it causes it to you know sting when you get hit there um, it'll take a while to kind of build that endurance piece back up and then the last part is just even on like from a blocking perspective being able to have that range of motion returns so you can really flex that wrist back to have to go in and block somebody you know one the motion piece will be tough too if it's obviously stiff and then you hit that area you just kind of risk kind of retweaking or re-irritating the area the snot-nosed uh, punk in me is saying, when's an Ohio State wide receiver ever blocked anybody? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is they haven't had to. <laughs> they don't have to because yep. they're in the end zone. I, sorry, I had to go there a little bit. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by what 
he can do in Seattle. Yeah, and Dr. Brendan, are there any learning lessons for Jackson Smith and Jigbar? Maybe just the general populace with this play where you think about a guy you know, breaking his fall with his wrist and ending up breaking his wrist. Is there a learning lesson to be taken away there? Because I know like skateboarders, they tell themselves, you don't break your fall with your wrist. That's a great way to break a wrist. Is there any learning lessons here? Yeah, it sure could be. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good advice. Obviously, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes when you're on the field, you're trying to control some things. And, you know, you think about the number of times he's probably done this very same thing. You know, why now that, it, you know, sustain a fracture versus having done this multiple times in the past with no issues. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday. Jackson Smith in Jigba out three to four weeks, uh, busted up wrist, surgery, and uh, we'll see when he gets back onto the field and uh, back for Pistol Pete up in Seattle. And Dr. Brandon, last thought here, is there any risk of re-injury once Jackson Smith and Jigba gets back on the field, assuming that the surgery goes well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, anytime we're you know, rushing that timetable, trying to get somebody back, you know, that, that seems pretty quick. That risk of that fracture not being totally healed is there. You know, truly it takes, honestly, anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks to truly heal it up to almost normal. And so you do run a risk of going back and playing too soon. The other thing you worry about is you're putting hardware in this wrist. And so you worry about, could you break the hardware? You sure can. Uh, there may come a point where he needs a second surgery to maybe take out the hardware. Uh, but it all depends on what type of you know hardware system they're using, whether it's pins versus are they going to actually put plates in. That would be the big question. Dr. Brandon, we'll get caught up again. Thanks for the time today. Okay, fellas, take care. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time. As we uh, gear out of a midweek edition tomorrow, going to run down Bill Bender's sporting news. Excited to chat with him. Get his thoughts on Nebraska, the Big Ten, as we're close to the season being underway. Coach Barnett with us. Maybe a surprise or two as we uh, look towards Thursday. 489-1240 to get in. Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Great comments in the stream as well. Thanks for that input. And I want to remind you about buckling up saves lives. One of every three fatal crashes in Nebraska involves an alcohol-impaired driver. Why take chances if you drink? Don't drive. A message from the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. As always, the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play is where you go for the pod. The digital version of it, video-wise, Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal and the Hale Varsity Radio Twitter uh, handle at H Varsity Radio. So I got hit up early in the school year by Junior. Junior is wanting to, uh, he either wants to, to be an orthopedic surgeon okay, or he was talking dentistry. And I, I casually said, do you know a dentist or, you know, a, a buddy's a buddy that's got a family member that's a dentist who does not have a vacation home or two? Either case between the orthopedists, uh, orthopedic uh, folks or the, the dental realm. And either way, good on you. But he's, I- he's gearing up to take some, some courses that are going to try and prep him for that. 
and Junior took his first major exam today already, allegedly. I don't know who he sat by for physics, differentiated physics. I clearly need to DNA test him and me. 96%. Ooh, boy. So either he's smart, he's applying himself finally, he sat by the other smart kids in div physics, or um, he's just got it. Can I say, Diff Physics was one of the most fun courses I took. I was always a history guy back in high school. Oh, Diff Physics was fun. It was fun. Well, it was like, because I, I, not a math guy. I, I, I have, I have. Except all right, for Diff Physics. I have all right math ability. I would not pass that. That's the thing about physics, though, is it takes all these stupid, like, hypothetical math questions and makes them very real world, like, uh, applicable situations that then my, my mind can like wrap around. Like a 335 defense? Sure. Being Diff Physics? Sure. Yeah, it's. I guess that works. Yeah. Well, it's. It, it, it takes just these like these theoretical formulas, speed and, and force, and different angles. Puts them into practice. Sure. I guess that works. That works. Back to your dentist point, though. My buddy Kip, his dad, Alan, was my dentist growing up, mm-hmm. and he has since moved off into the Omaha area and sure. uh, has a dental practice up there. Um, and I don't think he has any vacation homes, but he has a but he be- could. a beautiful home <laughs> on the banks of the Elkhorn River. Uh, in addition to uh, a lot of vacations that they uh, they always that's took awesome. Up. So dentistry not a bad option. It wasn't for me. I people's mouths kind of freak me out. I don't I, I don't want my fingers in people's mouths all day. Ugh. Well, Junior also is still in the pursuit of a uh, an Audi, a working one. Well, and he's not going into radio, so he at least has a good chance of getting one. In the long every <laughs> every every day I get three text messages. It's like he's Ralphie in a Christmas story instead of magazine inserts i get uh still shots of audis for sale so there you go no junior a hood at media production